1 John chapter 2, we continue in our series called Blessed Assurance, noting how John wrote this epistle so that we may know that we have eternal life. This morning I want us to read as we begin the lesson, verses 3 through 11 of 1 John chapter 2. Hear now the word of the true and living God. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother, is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let us pray. Lord God, we do pray that you would remove from our minds and our hearts all distractions so that we can give our full undivided attention to Christ, to the Holy Spirit-inspired Word, and that having seen clearly what is being communicated, we might draw near in fellowship to you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Today marks the 21st anniversary of 9-11 when terrorists crashed planes into buildings and uh, one into a field in Pennsylvania, Pentagon, the Twin Towers. These men did this because of their particular religious belief. You see, according to the particular strand of Islam that they held to, they believed that Allah wanted them to do that. Last week, you'll remember that I talked in the introductory comments of the lesson about how people will believe in the most extraordinary things, that God requires the most extraordinary means in order to be obedient to Him. And and what happened 21 years ago is a, uh, an example of this, that, that people think that, that they need to do the most extraordinary thing in order to be obedient to the deity. And yet what we are seeing from John is actually what is necessary is simple, humble obedience to the commandments of Christ. And then there's the other side of the spectrum. On the one hand, you have folks who 
they expect. I, what, what's the most fantastic thing you can think of? Well, if I do that, then somehow I'm going to appease the gods. But on the other hand, are those who say, well, you know, now that, now that I'm a Christian, it's, it's all good, and, and I can just keep doing what I was doing before. That God doesn't necessarily require anything of me now. Even simple, humble obedience to the commandments of Christ. And it is these polarities that the Apostle John is confronting and challenging head on. And he is saying that both of these are heretical. And neither of these will deliver you from the bondage that is sin. And in particular, it is that latter notion that I want us to address this morning, and that is that Ali Ali income free, I'm going to keep doing whatever I want, because God wouldn't require anything of me. Soren Kierkegaard, theologian uh, from a Danish philosopher and theologian from many years ago, put it this way. He said, there is something frightful in the fact that the most dangerous thing of all, playing at Christianity, is never included in the list of heresies or schisms. And I think Kierkegaard was right about that. That playing at Christianity is a very dangerous thing. And yet, nobody ever thinks of that as heretical, wrong, in fact, many Christians think that playing at Christianity and engaging in the same conduct that you once had prior to coming to know Christ is still acceptable and admissible in His kingdom. And what John writes here is, you're making an awful big claim. Claiming that you know Him, and yet your life is all wound up in darkness, all wrapped up in darkness. John says, that is dangerous. It, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. We looked at that in some detail last week. But again, just to, to tamp this down a bit further, the language of I know him is fellowship language. And that's where we started in this study of this book. Way back in chapter 1 and verse 3, the end of verse 3, said our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, the last verse in that book, how there is also the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that we seek to have fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that we can and we do enjoy this rich fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, and with the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, who lives within us. But now here is John, and he is saying, listen, there is no real fellowship with God without practical obedience. There is no communion with God. Another word for fellowship is communion. There's no communion with God, the triune God even, if there's no obedience. And in fact, those of you who are claiming to know Him, there's no real knowledge of God, or of Christ, or of the Holy Spirit without practical obedience. And so, we discussed briefly the love of God being perfected in us as we keep the Word of God. And that's how we know that we are in Him. In Him is very particular language. 
that is used all throughout Scripture, the New Testament especially, about being in Christ or or about being in the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 8 talks about those who are in the flesh and those who are in the Spirit. Paul elsewhere talks about being in Christ Jesus. And here's John, he's talking about the same thing. Being in Christ. But listen, if you would be in Christ, whoever says he abides in him, abiding is fellowship language. That's communion language as well. You remain in him. You stay in him. You live in him. Whoever says that ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Your walk must match your talk. What you're saying must match your lifestyle, how you are living in this world. And really what John is talking about here is sanctification. Growing deeper and deeper in your faith and in your walk with the Lord. That if you want a deeper relationship with God, obey Him. Find new levels of obedience. Dig into His Word and identify what it is He requires of you and what He desires of you as you live life with Him. And then do what it says. Don't be merely a hearer only. Do what the Word says. Put it into practice. We could even ask, well, how did Jesus walk? Jesus was an obedient son to His Father in all things. Everything that Jesus did was what the Father commanded. And He walked exactly as the Father commanded. He walked in love. He walked in righteousness. He walked in mercy. He walked in peace. Well, if we say that we abide in Him, if we, we say that we, we have fellowship with Him, and, well, then we have an obligation. Notice the language. We ought to. That's the language of obligation. We ought to walk as He walked. And we do have a moral obligation to follow the pattern of Jesus, to walk in His steps. And as we've talked about, will we do it perfectly? No, that's where we started in chapter 2. And it even bleeds back into chapter 1 about walking in the light and needing the blood of Jesus continually cleansing us so that we can continue in our fellowship with God. But we ought to walk as He walked. That's the call, the high and holy calling. Well, John now is going to put feet to this, and and he's going to put it in very practical terms, especially in terms of the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, one of another. Verses 7 through 11 are about knowing Christ through obedience. But it's in a particular vein that John traces this through. That yes, we know Christ through our obedience to Him, generally speaking, and that's right. We ought to obey the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and everything. But in particular, John hones in on knowing Christ through brotherly love. That there is a, not only a moral test, in the terms of your lifestyle generally, but also there's a social test as to whether or not you really know Christ. And it's this. How are you treating your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love them? Or do you merely have a passive indifference toward them, kind of a laissez-faire attitude? Or, Or do you even have hatred harbored in your heart against your brother or your sister. You see, if if you have hatred, that's outside the bounds of the Christian fellowship. That's outside the bounds of knowing Christ. Related to that, passive indifference is a form of hatred. 
We'll explore that here in a moment. But it's certainly not love. And that passive indifference is outside, again, the bounds of the Christian faith. Love is the high and holy calling. And this goes all the way back to what Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, and verse, verses 34 and 35. John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says there, a new commandment. Hmm, interesting language there that John is going to pick up on here as we dig deeper into verses 7 through 11 of 1 John chapter 2. But Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so John picks up on this, and he says, yeah, notice, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. And there's discussion about what exactly from the beginning means here, but does it mean from of old and even digging back into, say, the Levitical law and the purity code of Leviticus where you find in there, love your neighbor as you love yourself? Could be. If it is, Jesus, he latches onto that and expands upon it with the love one another command the new commandment, how Jesus can give that commandment in a new way. It's a fresh way, new in kind and new in time. Whereas it was love your neighbor, now it's love one another. And whereas it was under the old covenant, now it's under the new covenant. Love one another. And then Jesus goes further. It's not just love your neighbor as yourself, but as I have loved you, you're to love one another. And we know how Jesus loved us, don't we? He stretched out his arms and died on the cross. It's in a sacrificial and a self-giving way that Jesus loves us. So does it mean all the way back there? Could. Could go all the way back to the law. I'm inclined, though, to see here that John is talking about the beginning of their Christian walk, their, their career as a Christian. That when they were obedient to the gospel, these Christians learned about what it means to be a Christian, that what, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And in fact... Here's, here's a, a glaring way that all people will know that you are my disciples. You love one another as Christ has loved us. So Jesus, this seems to be the command that John has in the back of his mind. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. There it is. Why, again, I'm inclined to see this as uh, the beginning of their Christian walk, their Christian faith. And at the same time, verse 8, it is a new commandment that I'm writing you. And we saw how Jesus calls it a new commandment uh, back in John. And it is, which is true in Him, that's in Christ. And of course it's true in Him, because Jesus is the one and the only one who's ever loved perfectly. And here... John picks up on this and he says, it's true in him, but it's also true in you. And wow, what a, what a fantastic thought. True in, in me? I mean, put yourself in the shoes of the original reader. Wow, that's, that's incredible. This commandment that is true in Christ is also true in me. Why? Because I'm, I'm so good at loving? No, it's because I'm in him. And even though I do fall short of this, 
Because of Jesus and his perfect obedience, it's true in me. That's the key to understanding this. He goes further and he explains uh, additionally, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. And this is related to knowing Christ through sanctification. That is the, the process of being set apart more and more. It is a holiness test, I'm persuaded. John says the darkness is passing away. The true light is shining. That is the, the darkness of sin. And in particular here, we can talk about hatred toward others, and especially toward our brothers, or at least that passive indifference. That's... The, there's less and less of that in your life. There's less and less of that in you as you continue to follow Jesus and, and match His steps more closely. That darkness of sin is passing away. It's going out of business. It's a, and by the way, that's a present tense thing. It's an ongoing thing. It's continually fading more and more and giving way to the true light that is already shining now, the way that John has used this phrase, true light, in his gospel is, is related to Christ. Way back in his gospel, chapter 1 of the gospel of John, he talks about John, the Baptist, who came and he bore witness to the light. He himself wasn't the light, but he bore witness to it. And then in verse 9, John says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And that seems to be John's way of talking about Jesus. Later on in John's Gospel, chapter 8, Jesus will say, I'm the light of the world. And so he is. And so the true light already shining. And again, it's, it's a present tense thing. It's, it's as if it's getting brighter and brighter in our lives, that is. That's how it's true in us. That as the darkness is fading away, more and more we are seeing the true light of Christ shining in us. As we become more and more like him, as we are set apart more and more as we become holy. This is, again, the process of sanctification. We are coming to know Christ as we are made holy in Christ. As the light shines brighter and brighter in us. That is, as we obey the commandments of Christ. And in particular, the, the new commandment here that John's talking about. The true light is already shining. This is the the practical nature of the Christian faith. That it is a progressive thing. That we continue to deepen our relationship day by day. And, and we look different today than we did last year or last week. And again, that's, that's part of what it means to know Christ. That as we come to know Christ more and more, we reflect Him more and more. People are able to see Christ living in us more and more. And now, again, we circle back to the idea of brotherly love in verses 9 through 11. Where John, he writes here, he says, whoever says he's in the light, and, and we definitely want to be in the light and walk in the light, as we were told back in 1 verse 7. It's there that the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us, and it's there that we have fellowship even with God. So, of course, we want to be in the light. And so, here is this person in 2 verse 9 who says, yeah, I'm in the light. Ah, but he hates his brother. And again, it could be 
active animosity toward a brother, sister in Christ. It could be passive indifference. Either one of those qualifies as outside the bounds, and, and it qualifies for darkness. He hates his brother, still in darkness. Wow. Let me just ask, does that sound like a, does that sound like a, a Christian? You, you think about... Uh, Think about like amazing grace, right? I once was blind and now I'm still blind. I once was in darkness and, and now I'm still in darkness. No, that this sounds like a person who's made a profession of faith. But they've gone, they're they're continuing and they're persisting in their former life. But this is not a true believing faith, not a true saving faith, but rather it's, it's a false faith. Jesus himself talked about those who they have a faith for a brief time and then they fall away. Go back and read the parable of the soils or the sower and you'll see that. And here's John talking about it as well, that, that this is a person who claims one thing, but their, their, walk, their, their walk does not match their talk. And it's particularly related to love. And, and, and if you've been a Christian any amount of time, then you've probably heard the, the Greek term agape, right? Agape. That's, that's the word that John uses here. And this kind of love always seeks the other person's highest good. It is, it is not an accidental thing, in other words. It's an intentional thing. It's a quest it seeks the other person's highest good, whether they deserve it or not. It seeks the other person's highest good, whether they ask for it or not, because love volunteers. This goes back several weeks ago when we looked at the golden rule. Do unto others. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's active. Uh, it takes the initiative. It volunteers. This, seeks the, this kind of love seeks the person's highest good, no matter what it may cost me. And love is costly. Look no further than the cross to see the cost of true love. And this always seeks the person's highest good regardless of the number of times I must do it. And we shouldn't get confused here. This is, this is much deeper than sentimentality. Sentimentality, that, that's the subjective side of love. The, the warm, fuzzy, ooey-gooey, rich, chewy feeling stuff, right? And, and don't get me wrong, you need that. We ought to have certain feelings toward our brothers and sisters. But this kind of love goes beyond that to the objective. Look no further than, again, what God does in Christ if you want to see the, the objective nature of love. God so loved the world. What He, he had just like a, a, that, 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 that subjective warm, fuzzy feeling inside. And so, you know, okay, let me send Jesus. Well, don't get, me, don't get it twisted. Absolutely, God feels certain things for us, but it's deeper than that. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is the nature of God's love that we be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the objective. That's the quest. That's the purpose of all of our love is to see Christ formed in one another. That's the highest good for anybody. 
And that ought to be the lens through which you read all of the commandments of love. Love one another? Absolutely. But how about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves? Well, if this kind of love is seeking a person's highest good, and the highest good that they have is, to, is for Christ to be formed in them, ah, then that adds a new dimension to the love that we are to have for our neighbor. Or how about love your enemies? You mean I should, I should desire to see Christ formed in them? All of this influences, again, how we love and what love is to be like and what it's to look like. It is the objective nature of love. And so, the other aspect of this, uh, verse 10, whoever loves his brother, that, of course, lends, the, the, lends itself to the discussion of who is my brother, right? Who is my brother? Well, it's, in plain terms, a fellow Christian, a fellow believer. I mean, we can get this uh, as technical as we want, I suppose. Entire books have been written on the subject, but the one who believes in Christ, the one who is, like I am, making it their, uh, their dead-level purpose to be obedient to Christ, that would be my brother, my sister. And so John says, whoever loves, and this is a, a, an ongoing present tense thing, whoever is continually loving his brother abides in the light. In other words, it's more than just a one-time deal. I loved him back then, and that's good, right? No, this is ongoing obedience to the commandments of Christ, which is love one another. And so, yes, you... Love your brother, and whoever does that is in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But, so the way John has presented this, uh, verse 9, we could call that his, uh, his thesis uh, in terms of uh, claiming to be in the light and yet hating your brother, you're still in darkness. The antithesis would be verse 10 which is whoever loves his brother abides in the light. In him there's no cause for stumbling. And then the antithesis to the antithesis, if you will, is verse 11. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness, walks in darkness, does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. You see the double darkness here, don't you? Because this, this, this person here, is blinded. And while he's blinded, he's also fumbling around in darkness. That's the twice blindness here. It is a pitiable picture that is presented as this one walks in darkness, doesn't know where he's going. No, no reference point in the darkness and blinded by his own sin. And that's really what's happened here. Sin has crept in. And sin has done its disabling work so that this individual is blinded, stumbling around, fumbling around. And why it's so essential for us to, to make the note here between the contrast that John is drawing here and the connection between light and life and love, which stands in opposition to darkness and death, and uh, hatred, and how these, these are opposites, and, and there is no, no, no fellowship between them. There cannot be. But it also adds another wrinkle. You know, it, it's been a few years, but it, it seems like this thing kind of cycles through every now and again. 
this uh, so-called Christian notion that says, you know, I love Jesus, but, you know, I, I don't really like the church that much, right? Uh, it was, uh, it may have been about a decade ago, I guess, by now, but uh, one uh, young guy went, uh, went viral because of a spoken word type uh, uh, poem that he had done about how he loved Jesus, but uh, the church, you know, it's not that great. Ended up getting a book deal as a result of it, but uh, so things go. John says, excuse me? You can't claim to know him, to love him, to have fellowship and communion with, with Jesus, while at the same time sliding his bride. While at the same time speaking evil against the bride. Even, even in the circles I run in as a minister, there's this notion of, man, <laughs> ministry sure would be easy if it weren't for all the people. Whenever I hear that, I just, because repackage it. You ready? <laughs> ministry sure would be easy if it weren't for the redeemed of the Lord. What? What are we even saying? And whether it's ministers or whether it's members or John is getting right to the root, and he says, no, no, no. My brothers, my sisters, love one another. The tradition is that uh, when John was older, I may have shared this before, if so bear with me, but uh, it, it, when, when he was so old that he could not walk himself to church anymore, the Apostle John was carried by some of the young men into the, uh, the assembly. They would set John there and, and they would have their, their worship together and, and they would ask John the apostle, John, you have anything to share with your, your brothers, your sisters? Just one thing. He'd always say, love one another. Love one another. And he, he did it so often, they finally asked him, John, why is it that you, that you just keep saying the same thing? He said, it is enough. It is enough. Love one another. It is enough. And really, you know, we talk about the Christian life is to be different, and that's exactly right. But at the heart of it is how we treat one another. That the world will know us by the love that we have for one another. And look, the, the hatred that John is talking about here can manifest in a number of ways. It can manifest in malicious intent, libel, gossip, a refuse to speak the truth in love. But the reality is, again, it's not something extraordinary. It's not something abnormal. It's simple, humble obedience to the commands of Christ. Love one another. Seek one another's highest good. Seek for Christ to be formed in one another. That, that I want Christ to be formed in you and, and you and all of, all of you. And you want Christ to be formed in me as well. That's what it means to abide in the light. What it means for the light to drive out the darkness from us. And how we walk even as he walked.
Let's commit this to prayer. On the one hand, Father, it is simple. Love one another, and yet we know that it can be a challenge, that we are humans, that we sin. We pray, Father, that you, by the Holy Spirit within us, would enable us to love one another and and cover a multitude of sins. Indeed, Father, that, that the world would know us by the love that we have for one another, not in mere sentimentality, but in true love, biblical love, Christ-like love for one another. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.